as soon as I slow my breathing and I kind of go into that meditative state of, of being in the ocean and just being at one with it, yeah, just completely lose track of time. I mean, I've gone out for dives before and I've had work and um, I was like, all oh, right, I'll just sneak in a quick two hour dive and I've come out eight hours later and I've been yeah, completely missed my shit. That's Sam Clothier describing how he gets lost in the ocean, just like all of us do in one way or another. Lots more from this man of the hike and spear today on this Ocean Life podcast. Yeah, now everybody, thanks for being here again for another podcast episode. Uh, as always, couldn't do it without you. Thanks for listening and, and all support and everything. Hey, if you want some fun stuff to read in between episodes, I got a new blog out. So lots of a bunch of crazy weird stories and fun stuff. I uh, also have a newsletter that'll kind of keep everybody updated on the latest guests, blogs, news, etc. Check it out at thisoceanlife.tv. Uh, always appreciate your support by subscribing to This Ocean Life on your podcast app and or pledging support on my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thisoceanlifepodcast. Now, like me, you may be trying to create a lifestyle business based on the ocean and adventure, but need some help growing your brand. Rome Generation is just a solution. As a full-service PR agency, Rome Generation will help with social media management, content creation, and much more to help make sure your unique and inspiring story is heard by the world. You can learn more at RomeGeneration.com, that's R-O-A-M, Generation, and see the long list of their adventure lifestyle clients like the famous S.V. Delos and more. Now today, born and bred in the UK, Sam Clothier has found his calling diving and foraging in and around the ocean. From a young age, Sam found his deep connection with the water and has been in a path of pursuit ever since. Honing his skills in the breath hold and spearfishing, on the rugged British coast, Sam has experienced waters and fish around the world from Fiji, Southeast Asia, Australia, and more. From stories of handling sharks in Western Australia to discovering new experiences in his local waters, Sam shares a great perspective on sustainably enjoying foods of the ocean that we rarely consider, the challenges of diving alone, and his own personal connection with being in the ocean. To see what Sam is up to, go visit his YouTube channel as well which is called Wet Mammal, and think about foraging from some new, fresh food straight from the ocean that's never been on your menu before. Enjoy. Uh, Sam, man, welcome to the podcast, man. Appreciate you being here. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I've been checking you out on YouTube and Instagram and uh, love the, the hike and spear concept. Uh, and so I'd love to hear kind of you start there, man. What is... What is Hike and Spear? What are you up to these days with that? Oh, Hike and Spear. So Hike and Spear was something that I've wanted to do for quite a long time. So basically, um, some of my main hobbies include hiking and spearfishing. So it was it was kind of like a no-brainer to stick the two together and try and create long-distance walks where I just try and self-sustain as much as possible from spearfishing and coastal foraging and just trying to get some distance beneath my foot. So yeah, go from point to point, dive different locations every day, enjoy some wild camping and yeah, just get stuck out there. Yeah. How fun, man. And then you document it really quite well too, which is not the easiest thing to have yourself on camera, be talking and all that, but you do a cool job. I've noticed watching YouTube clips of just like keeping us, the audience kind of informed as to what you're doing and why, and a little bit of education too. Yeah, so the, the, the whole video and thing comes with lots of challenges that um, I've only just started to experience fully. 
um, with battery usage, carrying extra weight, and then just like having to actually make time of the day to separate and then actually go out and, and video as well. So you're not just actually looking after yourself and trying to survive, you're then trying to capture it on camera as well. Yeah, sounds tough. You got to do two things at once <laughs> all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, constantly, constantly. So, so take us through it, man. So you just did one. I'm guessing it's probably been multiple weeks now, but like an eight an eight day uh, trek, and you kind of chunk chunk it up in terms of your video clips and everything. But I mean, talk about the format. Like you get dropped off somewhere, you have a pack, you have a spear gun, you have some cooking stuff, and then you go. So take us through kind of what gear you bring. Uh, and also where, like this last trip, and we'll get into some of the other spots you've been around the world as well. Yeah, so um, on this trip, um, I was walking in, in basically where I'm from. So I'm from Torquay in Devonshire in the United Kingdom, which is like the southwest of the UK. It's a really, really special part of the UK. It's incredibly unique. We're quite a bit warmer than the rest of the UK, and we get to enjoy um, waters on both sides of, of the county, which is really, really cool. So we've got a north coast and a south coast. I'm from the South Coast and it was just kind of, it just made absolute sense to dive the South Coast and do a hiking spear here to begin with because of it's where I grew up. So I'm most familiar with the grounds here. But in terms of kit, taking your kit, you do end up carrying a lot of gear. And quite a lot of that is down to the fact that you're not only hiking long distance, but you're spearfishing a lot, which dehydrates you massively. So you need to carry quite a lot of water to compensate for that. So. I was only carrying about six six kilos of water, like six liters of water, hmm. but including your dive gear, your camping gear, and then the video gear on top, it all adds up pretty quickly. And I, I travel naturally pretty light. Um, a lot of my gear is like ultra light gear, but when it was all combined with the spearfishing gear and the video gear, I'm still carrying about 30 kilos on my back, which is yeah fun, especially for the Devonshire Hills. <laughs> yeah, it looked like it was a, a nice trek and having that much weight in your back and then you got to take all that off. Plus you're schlepping a weight belt, you know, which that's a bunch of extra weight that it doesn't really do much for you other than bring you to the bottom of the sea. <laughs> yeah, I, I really wish that I was diving in warmer waters and then you can um, ditch down on the neoprene, drop down to like a three mil or a 1.5 yeah. and then you yeah. could get away using a sand belt as opposed to having lead weights. But yeah. yeah hiking with just dead weight is is, is horrendous <laughs> yeah man plus like where you are the water is not warm so you have a thicker wetsuit which takes up a lot of room in your pack plus yeah. you need the weight to get you down and then try packing that up when it's wet your, your wetsuit and then packing that adds a couple extra pounds as well <laughs> yeah exactly yeah all plays in and especially like because you don't always have access to like freshwater streams so you're salty as well so not only are you carrying all that gear but you've got salt between your joints and you get yeah it's it's a challenge all right yeah so describe that area because i was looking at it and when i first saw a clip maybe it was an instagram picture and i was like wow it looks very much like where i am in california where the water's pretty clear it's not crystal clear some sand some reef and some low-lying kelp and then kelp on the surface and i was like where is he you know and then i and i saw it was the uk i was like wow that looks really nice because i have this in a very limited experience in the water in the uk so take this with a grain of salt yeah. it looked like it was beautiful like didn't look like the uk to me the water that, that i see in pictures and everything so talk about that area where you this last trip you're at and just describe what it's like for us who haven't been there okay so i'll, I'll start off by saying i was incredibly fortunate with the mm. weather and i think lockdown played its part for covid so we didn't have a lot of boat traffic and and i think the environment was just yeah absolutely pristine for when i went i went immediately after the lockdown wrapped up here 
or to a certain extent, we're allowed unlimited exercise. So I use that to its full advantage. But um, yeah, no, we are quite blessed down in the southwest. Um, I've seen guys diving up north and they do have to dive in far worse waters. Not to say that we don't get those waters as well, but um, for probably about a month of the year, spread across the entire year, we've got really good clean water mm. to dive in. So yeah, just really lucked out with that. Yeah, it looked like you nailed it. And so that spot, like, talk about like the local fish that you're catching because you got a bunch, like, a total random assortment of different fish and crabs and everything. So talk about then the back to like the foraging aspect of you're you're keeping yourself alive and fed based on your ability to shoot fish and grab crabs and you know harvest you know seaweeds and you know plants on the shoreline. So talk about the food that you were finding and preparing for yourself on that trip. Yeah, so um, the, the goal was always to kind of focus mainly on seafood so um, for protein, so fish and your crustaceans and, and so on. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot out there. Once you're a little bit like kind of educated and um, like self-educated on what you can eat, you'll realize that when you go to the beach, you're normally surrounded by stuff that you can eat and it's just everywhere. So pretty much all seaweeds are edible which is amazing and that they kind of translate across the world. So like we've got kelp over here, very similar to the kelp that you guys will have. Um, and same for Australia, Japan, wherever you go, it's very, very similar seaweeds. So that's, that's a good thing for coastal foraging. Um, in terms of other stuff, like uh, we've just got loads of wild plants that grow really close to the shoreline. There's only a few of those that are edible in the UK. Um, but once you pick them out, you realize that they do grow pretty much everywhere. So that's cool as well. Yeah, that's cool, man. And so what are you shooting with? Like, give me your, your dive setup, the gun and your whole, what, you're, what you got, what you bring into the water with you? So I've got a custom aim right roller. Um, and it's basically, it's based on the cuttlebone design of the gun. So it's a bit more like hydrodynamic um, for shooting and getting around with. And I've, I've tried creating it as short as possible just to restrict or reduce weight um, for what I'm carrying. So I really need to count the grams for when I'm doing these trips. So yeah, it's a 85 centimeter roller gun. Um, Aimrite's been absolutely amazing. It's been one of the few bits of gear that I've actually been able to lug around and absolutely abuse. I'm really, really hard on my gear and it kind of like stands the, the test of time. I used to run with some other guns. I've used Rob Allen and Oma, and unfortunately they have been good guns, but they've kind of fallen apart when I've needed them the most. So yeah, switched to aim right, and they're holding up really, really good. Got a couple nice. of Nice. Yeah, that's cool. So we're talking about the UK, the sort of Southwest spot where you're from, but you've spent a lot of time also, and I saw a really cool map uh, of you kind of drawing lines around the coast of Australia and through the middle. Like, looks like you've spent a ton of time out there too, doing this exact same thing where you're hiking in and you're basically living off the land. So, how take switch over to Australia? I mean, it's a giant place, a lot of different variability, a lot of different areas. Um, but I don't know. Just talk about Australia in general and what what you've been doing out there and the time you've spent and any of the favorite spots and things you've seen out there. Yeah, okay. So um, I moved out to Australia um, purely by accident in 2014. And I was only supposed to be there for two weeks. And I ended up deciding to stay for yeah a few years. Nice. Um, and I moved over to Western Australia. So when I was diving in Western Australia, initially, it was my first real contact with sharks. So um, yeah, I did completely the wrong thing in numerous instances um, until I got a little bit more local knowledge on what to do and what not to do around sharks. 
Um, and then from there, I slowly moved over to the East Coast. I did a lot of traveling as well, but I actually moved over to the East Coast in Sydney and based myself there for a bit. And then I've um, kind of just like spawned out and explored more of like the eastern side of Australia, so New Zealand and the South Pacific. But um, yeah, I've pretty the only thing that I haven't done in Australia really is dive or dove the Northern Territory and Queensland and far north Queensland, which is on the it's on the list. Yeah, so you've been you've seen a lot there. Uh, what's your favorite? I mean, it's probably it might be a hard one, or maybe it's not. But <laughs> what's your favorite spot that you've been to out there? Australia. Oh, it's yeah, it's really tricky. Um, Southwest Western Australia was just plentiful for abalone and craze and plenty of fish. They're the same as the north, so around like Exmouth. Um, Exmouth, sorry, um, is just yeah, incredible diving. I mean, I, I got in the water one dive and I didn't even make it like four meters into the actual water, and I was probably in like half a meter of depth, and there was a crayfish that would have been like four kilos just walking straight. <laughs> just mental magical um tasmania the east coast of tasmania is just insane if you can brave the colder waters um mm. tassie tassie puts out yeah there's some really really good feeds to be had there and then sydney sydney's been yeah amazing it's just, it's just incredibly diverse I, I just get blown away the, with the fact that you can live in a city like a fully functioning capital or state capital and it just has so much ocean life uh, right right at the tips of your finger, fingers yeah. yeah 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 so is that where you started doing the hike and spear originally was in australia um yeah i guess, I guess so I've, I've done two day trips in the uk growing up but i'd never done anything over the two days and it was in australia where i, I first started videoing it so yeah so where the idea kind of blossomed to then extend it and try more and more days the first trip in australia was supposed to be a three or four day trip and just because of the weather, <laughs> it kind of yeah. cut short. There was no point staying out. Yeah, yeah. And how about since it is as we're speaking, Shark Week Discovery Channel, which is like a it's like a national holiday now for people who love sharks in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. um, talk about your first interaction there, because again, as you mentioned, I've had a lot of folks on who tell a similar story of understanding how to be in the water with sharks, you know, and for those of us like you being in places, temperate waters where you just don't jump in the water and see a bunch of, you know, gray reef sharks or something every day to go from the diving we do in kelp and sand and limited visibility to a place like Australia where it's clear and, and you're more open water and there's a lot of bigger animals all around like sharks. I mean, what was, how, how was that evolution or just learning curve for you, how to be with those animals? Yeah, it, it came in really, really hard and fast. So even though I was diving in the UK um, from like the age of 14 in murky waters and even stormy waters like mad swells and stuff like that, it never, ever crossed my mind about sharks. So I was always completely comfortable in the water, no dramas at all. And then when I moved to Western Australia, I can remember getting into the water and a few guys on the shore saying, hey, this is like a really, really sharky spot. My... um. My boss, who I worked for at the time in Margaret River, his best friend was actually killed by a shark about five miles from where we lived. So we kind of took it like really, really seriously, but still we didn't know like how far out you had to be or like maybe it was just like the certain time of year or he did something silly. We, did, we didn't know, but mm -hmm. yeah, I learned pretty fast and quick. Um, I went out for a dive and my friends were on the beach and I went out and I, I shot a, um, a silver drummer for some burley. And at the time I was still burling solo in Margaret River, which is one of their like sharkiest regions in Australia. 
And I, I shot this fish, I brought it up to the surface and the fish is bleeding. You can kind of see it on the camera. And I just all of a sudden had this like huge hit on the side of my leg. And then I like looked down and you can just see this bronze way like going about his business is like two and a half meters. So I immediately panicked and I just threw the fish <laughs> at the bronze whaler underwater and started swimming back to the shore. And I'm like watching this shark come after this poor fish and chomp it to bits and yeah, bend my spear as I'm heading back to the shore. And um, I was about probably 300 meters off the shore at the time, completely on my own. And yeah, just decided to feed the shark and let the shark <laughs> associate with me and food. <laughs> <laughs> probably the right call there so but then after over time you, you reflected back in that and you probably got some counsel from you know maybe your boss and your mates in that area so how did that then change going forward like what did you then change in your style and approach when you had a fish on the stringer and you did see sharks yeah flight put the put the, <laughs> put the fish on the float um so in the uk I'm, I'm still a little bit lazy for it on the east coast i've got a little bit comfortable um i'll just string my fish onto my gun and i use that as a way to try to draw fish in out of curiosity but in um yeah known sharky areas the fish goes on the float 100 percent, and that yeah. like gets 25 meters plus away from me <laughs> yeah that's the way to do it uh and it's interesting like you said the uk like so no sharks like yeah, very well, rarely or any at all we've we've got um we do have a few sharks but they're, they're absolutely tiny we've got like smooth yeah. hounds and and dogfish and stuff like that and we do have poor beagle um but yeah they yeah they're rare to encounter and i don't think there's ever been an occurrence of somebody being bit in the water i think like fishermen yep. have been bit when they've caught them in nets and stuff like that yeah but um yeah we, we have seen a rise in the southwest apparently of great white sharks in our waters hmm. um, could be a, a sign from global warming that yeah they've decided to venture out and test our waters a little bit or just reduced pressure or fish it of fishing in this area they've decided to come in i'm not too sure but um yeah i haven't seen one yet so yeah yeah now you, now it's in the back of your head though like when they start seeing them now it's like <laughs> even when you're diving every now i mean where we i am in santa cruz they're all over the place i mean i i've, I've yet to see one myself over all my life but uh, they're constantly around and it is in the sticks in the back of your head, but it's interesting. Like I can imagine going in the times I've dove in warm places where there are much more types of sharks and like, you know, like tigers and the bull sharks and other things that will come at you. Um, it's interesting. It's a different, I don't know. It's always in your head, but it's, it's just different than like the one lone white shark you might see versus places like where you, where you might see one or two or three, on, you know, on a dive. Mm. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Um, Western Australia, I would probably see a shark over two meters every other dive, and then mm. um, yeah, on the set on the same dives, you'd probably see two or three smaller sharks. It was just absolutely packed. And then diving in places like Niue and in the South Pacific, where you're just surrounded by reef sharks, and you've got the opportunity of um, like white tips to just come through and and just try and have a little pop. If if they, if they can, they can be a little bit promiscuous. Um, and then bull sharks on the east coast they they can be a bit of a problem they tend to be a bit of a coward and they'll only kind of go for you in low visibility mm -hmm. uh, apart, apart from that my encounters with sharks has been yeah really really good since knowing how to behave around sharks that's that's key yeah so you've been in a lot of different waters and especially in western australia and i mean other places too there's some like legit proper fish you know that you've probably seen and or shot so give me an idea of some of your bests like best biggest etc 
Best and biggest. Um, so I haven't done any blue water hunting really. Um, I just always tend to have done like rock hops and, and shore dives. Mm -hmm. In the South Pacific, I've, I've swam out to reefs and I've, I've hit nice fish. But um, yeah, I've, I've taken some nice mahi in my time. I've, I've taken a, a stonker of a kingy, my first kingy. Mm. Um, I always get plagued with massive fish. Whenever there's a huge fish to be seen, um, something always go, goes wrong. I've had it where I've had like literally my, my wetsuit down and I've been taking a, a, a piss in the water and then yeah. Yeah, just this huge schools come past of like 1.5 meter kingies and um, stuff like that. But yeah, I've, I've taken a massive uh, black snapper, which was mm. in Nui. That was absolutely amazing. And that lasted for Otaika for like three days for like 12 people. It was uh. incredible. Um, and then, yeah, king, kingfish would be notable as well. My first kingy was 1.15, I think. Um, ah, big. He was, yeah, it was, was a good fish, so plenty of meat on him. Oh, man, that's a lot. It's a ver nice variety. So mention, talk about some of the other places you've been in general. Uh, like, so we're talking about Australia, UK, but just talk, touch on some of the other places of the world you've been in the water um so I've, I've dove quite a lot of southeast asia as well so like philippines vietnam mm. um where else thailand indonesia bali around like the the um gilly islands that was really really good dive and i didn't do any spearfishing there just because of for for the gilly islands and for vietnam and the philippines the um uh, the fish stocks aren't, aren't that great and it mm -hmm. just felt a bit weird kind of going over there and yeah, taking fish when there's not actually that many fish already there. Thailand, and there are places in, in Bali that you can spearfish, and there are plentiful fish, but I just didn't visit those areas. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, quite often it's just been a snorkeling and a free diving excursion in Southeast nice. Asia. And the, but the South Pacific, I've speared in Fiji, Tonga, um, Niue, and New Zealand. Yeah, and they've, they've all been absolutely teeming with life and teeming with fish and yeah always great experience yeah so if you had to pick one of those spots to return to which of which of those would you pick oh <laughs> um look I'd, I'd love to go out to fiji and and dive fiji again diving what i can dive now um and just being a bit more clued on about hunting specific mm -hmm. fish um, there's a, an elusive fish that I, I did manage to bag in Niue, but I didn't manage to get one in Tonga, which was the moo. And oh, yeah. they're incredibly hard to, to spear off. For me, they are anyway. They seem to always perfectly gauge just how far my line and my spear will shoot. <laughs> and they just hang five centimeters on the other side of that. <laughs> so they're, yeah, they're an absolute pain in the ass. And that they, they've tested me on my breath holds to the point where, yeah, it's like, right, I'm going to black out and yeah. I'm going to get a fish. So just there. <laughs> and those are reef fish? Yeah, I believe so. So they're um, demersal fish, but they, they just hang, hang around at depths yeah. of up to, or that I've dove up to 30 meters. And you kind of go down to the bottom and the best, the best way that I've learned how to hunt them is just dive down and just sit and wait and kind of flash your hands or throw some dirt up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even even then, they'll come in and they'll just sit right on the end of your spear and they'll just yeah. wait and wait and wait until you start getting the uh, the contractions going and then they know <laughs> yeah. that you're dying for air and they'll come a little bit closer just to hold yep. you down. They are the, the ultimate tease. 
Oh man, yeah. There's a fish here uh, near us. Well, actually, they'll be next week. It's California's Channel Islands, and there's a calico bass. It's not massive, you know. It's um, you know, twelve to eighteen, twenty inches, um, you know. But and it tastes nice, you know. But it's just the most the funnest cat and mouse game to play because there's it's always around rock piles or kelp, and it's just like you got to be so stealth, and you, know, you can't let them know what you're doing and the same thing they'll stay right out of range they just kind of know and then they turn and look at you you're done you have to just go back up because they once they see you you know so it's it's fun to play those games with fish you know when you're down diving oh yeah definitely i I wonder if they taste much like the the um european bass because if that's our best eating fish that we've got in the uk Mm. i believe yeah um, as a personal favorite but yeah oh yeah yeah i'd like those little small football type size guys yeah they're delicious Now, if you want to run your business while spending more time doing the things you love, talk to Rome Generation. They work with adventurers, marine brands, and experts and inspiring mission-driven individuals and organizations around the world to help them stand out in the crowd. With PR, social media management, content creation, and more, Rome Generation helps share your unique and inspiring story. The founder, Erin Carey, has been on the podcast talking about her own roaming stories. Check out episode 115. You can also learn more about how she can help you live your dream at RomeGeneration.com. Um, so how about, I mean, you've you've developed a skill diving, spearfishing, cooking, the whole deal. So let's rewind all the way back, man. It sounds like you grew up in an environment where you were doing that stuff as a kid. I mean, all this travel and just being on the coast. So, so rewind, man. How did you get introduced to the ocean? How did you develop all these cool skills that you, you know, have fun with today? Okay. So I was, I was born in the UK. Um, and then shortly after I was, I was born in, in Malmesbury, which is like a landlocked County of England. Um, we moved to Germany cause my dad's in the British army. So I lived in Germany for nine years, but unfortunately at the age of 10, I was hit by a car and, um, yeah, I have no memory of before the age of 10. No way. So <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a bit, a bit of a strange one, but, um, apparently I was always interested in nature and always obsessed with the ocean and we'd go on holidays and I'd always be obsessed with snorkeling and, and just seeing fish and wildlife in general. We then moved to Torquay in in the UK when I was about 12 years old. And that's when my interest for the ocean truly started to develop. Um, A lot of the lads down there from a young age, we do um, cliff jumping. So after school, we finish school at 2.30 every day and just go down to the water and jump off the cliffs into the water. And then it kind of just, yeah, just developed from there that um, one day I was out jumping with my mates and we saw this guy in the water, Matt Hill, and um he was spearfishing and we just saw him dive down and he appeared and he had this huge bass and we were like wow Hmm. that's really really cool and i was like straight away i was like i need to do that so we shouted from the rocks down at him and you know he came over and we started talking and i think we ended up buying a gun the next day to share between the group and then um yeah i purchased a wetsuit second hand off this matt guy and um yeah then spearfishing started for me and that's when it really, really, really took off. Yeah. And so you kind of went solo-ish. I mean, you had a group of buddies, but you had a wetsuit and a gun. So you were kind of 
you learned the hard way or did you have this guy, Matt, or others kind of help you figure it all out with a little bit of, you know, guidance and, you know, mentoring? Yeah. So Matt came, came on a dive with us a couple of times. And initially it was me and my, my best friend, Matt Miller. Um, we went on a, a couple of dives together and sort of showed us the gist of like how to hold your breath basically. But then from then on, it was me and Matt and, mm-hmm. um, Matt couldn't always commit to dives. He's, <laughs> he's a bit like, he loves, loves the water and loves fishing, but like, yeah, he's, he's not too good with it. And he never had a good wetsuit. So he always really mm-hmm. suffered with the cold. All of our gear to begin with was like secondhand scuba gear, scuba gear with the exception of my, um, spear fishing suit that I'd got from Matt. So that was, yeah, that was interesting. And then I'd find, found as we got older, I just ended up going out more and more on my own because mm-hmm. I just enjoyed it more. Um, and then I became like a little otter. I used to go down to the coast and I'd take like a Tupperware container of plaster and attach that to my float and then just go out spearing and yeah, I'd stay in the water for like eight hours. Um, <laughs> just absolutely ridiculous. I have, I have zero, like <laughs> zero clue on, on the time and how long I spent in the water. <laughs> I've done 12 hour dives when I thought they've been about four hours. So. Oh, gnarly, man. I like your style. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I get it too. Like that's the skull hard knocks. And I have a similar story just growing up and like having some friends who are kind of into it, into it, but not, not like another frothing person next to me who was, you know, we were like wingman all the time. And so you ended up just, you end up just going out and failing, fumbling, flailing through it and this learning over time, you know, which sounds like you did. So then at some point you decided to start cooking it, <laughs> cooking your catch right there on the beach. And so or how did how did that kind of develop that aspect of what you're doing? So and initially when I was really young, we would um me and my friend Matt, we would shoot fish or I'd I'd go out on my own and grab fish or crabs or lobster. And we'd take them home to my mum, and my mum would cook them. My mum's a chef, so she would uh-huh. yeah cook unreal dishes for us and really treat us. And we'd bring back things like mullet, which aren't the most desired fish in the UK, but she would just turn them into absolute mm. like dreams of, of dishes. So, um, yeah, a bit of interest from there. And then watching um, TV with Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. He's an English chef mm. who basically does a lot of foraging and fishing himself, and then he cooks it up. And I kind of just put two and two together i was like right i need to start doing this and i can't be asked to walk home after being in the water for eight hours and then cook. why not just cook at the beach so yeah getting portable barbecues to begin with and then um yeah portable stove was just the way forward and oh it's, it's so good you kind of have to let the fish stiffen up a little bit if you want to do things like uh, you kind of need to let the fish stiffen up a little bit if you want to do things like sashimi because of if you have the fish too fresh i found that it becomes a little bit chewy but if you let the kind of like the the rigor kick in then it becomes perfect for slicing and then eating and it, it just breaks down a bit better i'm not sure why that is but that's just from what i've found yeah so in your local spot what's your favorite like dish to prepare straight everything from the wild Fish and like, you know, anything kind of vegetable related. <laughs> okay. So I'd, I'd probably go raw. I do prefer like a lot of raw food over, over cooked food, mm. but, um, yeah, I would definitely go raw, raw bass probably. Um, and then go for like a seaweed salad. So all you need for that is literally just soy and wasabi. And yeah. then you can just get a few different types of like gut weed or, or seaweeds and put them together in a bowl and then just, yeah, sash your fresh fish and, and just go to town. 
That's nice, man. So then the bass fresh, you just basically like do you even sashimi it or just more just raw? Yeah, yeah. Um just just raw. So just slice it up and and go go to there, or you can do like a ceviche with it. Or yep. um in the Pacific Islands they do otaika, which is probably my favorite way to have fish. Um, which is kind of like a coconut raw fish dish. Um, yeah. And it's just uh it's absolutely amazing. I I'm not sure if there'd be something similar in Hawaii, but it's mm. like it's the way forward for yeah. It's killer. Mm. Yeah. So, what's the local like spearfishing scene in your area now? I mean, has it grown? Is it more established? Like, how yeah. would you talk characterize it? One hundred percent. Um. So when I left up for Australia in in two thousand and fourteen, as far as I'm aware, there was probably only like a thousand spearos in the whole of the UK. So mm -hmm. for a population of sixty five million or whatever. Yeah. Um barely anybody did it and you'd kind of know of people but there wasn't really the facebook scene so mm -hmm. you'd only know of people that dive locally you wouldn't know that anybody else kind of did it and now because of facebook and i think youtube and just more exposure and people taking more of an interest of sustainable feeding um yeah it, it's boomed i don't know the actual figures for spiros in the uk now but i'd, I'd put it easily over ten thousand spiros I mean, there's there's numbers of um, spearfishing stores. So for those guys to be up and running and operating, yeah. there must be must be a few thousand of us now. Yeah, easy. Now, how about in your area in Turkey? There, I mean, is that is that like a hot spot for it? Because the water is a little bit more clear and forgiving, and you know, um, more more approachable. Yeah, so I I definitely say, especially in the southwest region, um, South Devon. I've like growing up, I would go on dives, and apart from maybe bumping into Matt Hill or one of the diver in Torquay, I wouldn't really see anyone. And I, my first dive in the UK since lockdown finished, I actually went out and I got onto a beach and um, there was one guy who just got out of the water. There were three guys who were spearing together. And then when I was out in the water, I bumped into another two people that were spearing. Wow, it's a crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was getting crowded. It's, um, yeah, it's crazy. So like the whole time growing up, I don't think I saw any, maybe three or four spearos over the period of like 10 years and then yeah saw 10 guys in one dive is yeah it's crazy yeah that's cool man so then when did you like make the decision and why to then build you know create your own youtube channel like share all this with the world so i've always been interested in in video and, and photography i studied both at school and mm. um yeah i kind of just did it and then when i'd speak to people about what i do in my spare time and spearfishing they'd be like oh what's that and then I was like, right, okay, I'm going to start videoing this and showing people. So then I started videoing, showing people just on my phone or, or on my laptop or whatever. And then finally, yeah, kind of bit the bullet and was like, right, let's put this on YouTube so family and friends can see what I'm up to. And that mainly took off when I, when I moved to Australia just to kind of keep the family in the loop mm -hmm. and friends in the loop of what I'm up to, what I'm doing, and yeah. Yeah, nice, man. And so how many, how many episodes have you launched on your YouTube channel so far? Um, in terms of videos, I think I've done more than 40 videos, yeah. maybe, maybe a bit more than that, but uh, episodes of the hike and spear I'm on eight at the moment. And next week I'm due to leave for an, another trip, which was supposed to be two weeks ago, but it got canceled because we had mad storms come through. So, um, yeah, we're going to have some rain on the next trip, but yeah, plenty. Yeah, to come. That's part of it. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's another local trip in your area or where are you going? Yeah, so I'm going a little bit to the west of where I'm from in, in Cornwall. So that's like the very southwest of the country. 
Um, it's often touted as an independent nation and its own complete thing. And there's a bit of bit of jip between um, people from Devon and people from Cornwall. So mm. it's, it's friendly though. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely stunning to dive, but it will just be interesting to hike it in rain. And it, it's not too familiar for me either. I've only dove there probably less than 10 times. And the, the route that I'm taking, most of that I've never visited before. So massive winging session. Nice, man. Nice. So when you're out there, and I, I do a lot of solo diving too, which you know so I don't like to admit because it's not safe, but like you, if I if I didn't do it by myself, I would probably never do it because I just don't. It's hard to schedule people to go with me, and I got a, gr- a strong group around me. But yeah. with people with jobs and kids, it's really hard to go. So I get the solo thing. So when you're out there, you are you've hiked in for an hour, five hours, whatever it is. You know, there's nobody else around, so you have that safety factor kind of you know in the back of your mind. So do you kind of cap your cap your depth or the distance you go out from shore or how do you kind of factor in the safety aspect of being alone out there yeah so it, it does play on my mind especially as i've gotten older and spearfishing has become more popular a lot more mm-hmm. people are out there to kind of point out that it is super dangerous um in what we do um but yeah you can do things to mitigate risks right so you can I, when I go out diving on my own, I, I try not to hold my breath for, or like hold my breath at depth for longer yep. than a minute. Um, and that's to try and reduce shallow water blackouts. I make sure that I've got plenty of time up on the surface and I'm not doing dive after dive without letting my body fully recover. Um, in terms of depth, I'll probably only go down to about 20 meters when I'm on my own. Mm. And I, I, I won't push push past that i did in the south pacific but i had a buddy who although he couldn't dive he was he was just snorkeling um he could only dive to about four meters he he was on the surface so at least i had someone there and there i was able to push through to like 30 meters but um yeah just just paying attention to like hydration and stuff like that as well so sometimes i'll take water out with me and yeah, it just completely, completely depends on the environment. If it's a sharky environment, then I probably won't go further than maybe 100, 150 meters from, from the rock yeah. shelf or yeah. from like, yeah, shallow water. Um, if it if it's not like here in the UK, I've, I've been so far away from the coast where I've almost lost sight of the, the coastline. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Dude, so you kind of lose track of yourself or you're not yourself. You lose track of just everything outside of what you're doing when you're out there. I mean, you're talking eight hour dives, 12 hour dives, just kind of following something and suddenly looking back and going, holy shit, I am really far from land. So you just get totally immersed in it, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so as soon as I slow my breathing and I kind of go into that meditative state of, of being in the ocean and just being at one with it, yeah, just completely lose track of time. I mean, I've gone out yeah. for dives before and I've had work and um, I was like, all oh, right, I'll just sneak in a quick two-hour dive. And I've come out <laughs> eight hours later and I've been yeah, completely missed my shift. And Oops. Yeah, every, everybody knows. I get a few missed calls and then I just get a text saying, oh, yeah, you're working. Uh, you're diving. <laughs> so, Dude, that's funny, man. It's like you were meant to do that. I mean, like looking back, you're a kid you know, like before you had this auto accident and you were like, you know, your parents like, yeah, you really like the ocean. You had this accident where now you don't remember those days before you were 10. But what, while that, that accident took your memories, it didn't take that, like just that natural connection you have with the ocean. You know, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the draw's always, always been there. And it, it's a massive, as I've gotten older, it's just become more and more a part of my life as I learn more about, um, 
marine ecology and yeah. uh, conservation and and just just the food that i eat as well i'm enjoying the mm -hmm. food so much more now that i know t what to do with it and do more things yeah. with it so yeah the passion's only growing yeah i like that ecology aspect too which is really it's like understanding what you're seeing you know it's really easy if you like i had i went to college and i university studying fish biology and ecology so i was already like very much a science oriented person so i take that with me when i dive and i'm always interested like oh look at that algae like it's really easy if you don't have that kind of sciencey way of thinking to jump in the water and be and just get your connection be stoked spearfish free dive don't whatever you're doing but when you can start looking at what things are doing the animals and the plants and how they're interacting it's it's like a, it's like its own crazy little movie you know and sometimes it's just fun to just sit and hold on to the reef and just watch for a minute and a half or something as this crab walks over here and this little fish swims up and you can see just what's going on life daily life down there you know it's a it's a such a world of entertainment if you kind of stop and look at it yeah 100 i think that accounts for quite a lot of the the time that i i lose in the water is just me just observing just things living and and surviving it's yeah, it's magical yeah yeah and do you dive will you dive like the same reefs or the same like the same group of reefs because it's like it's most close to your house and you know there's some fish there like will you go to the same spots repetitively like just you know when you when you have a couple hours here and there so sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll go to the same spots. I, mm -hmm. I do try and mix it up as much as possible. And that's for a number of reasons. That's to try and like ease pressure, um, yeah. just to see different variety of species and, and interactions and cave systems. I absolutely love seeing underwater rocks and yeah, yeah just seeing how it like, how everything's kind of formed down there and different environments. And it's, it's almost like a giant playground or it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. One of my favorite things is, is going to like i have a couple go-to spots that are like you know called moss my house and the water's decent viz and i know there might be a fish but i oh i go in more i go to these spots more and more because i like i'm so familiar with them now that yeah. it's like i think i know what I, I expect when i get in the water you know i'm like yeah but it's what i love is when i get out there and i'm absolutely surprised by I don't know, massive schools of bait fish or giant schools of perch, or suddenly like it's, it's totally full of life. Like when three days before that stuff wasn't there, it was somewhere else, you know? And like, and then I'm like, why did it change? Why did all of a sudden all of these fish just congregate in the spot? You know, I look at like sea surface temperature. I look at winds and currents and I don't know, I'm not an oceanographer and I have no, I cannot, I have no idea why, but it's fascinating to me when you kind of go this, these same spots, and you think you know what you're going to expect, you're going to see, and you don't, you see something totally different. And, and the inverse is true too. You might not see anything. Whereas two days ago, it was pumping full of fish. And now there's like a fraction of them because they've just moved on. And that's, I'm always fascinated by why, like what, what was it that drew them here and, or drew them somewhere else? You know, I love that aspect of it. Yeah. 100%. There's a, a spot that's like, it's bang on for that in, um, in Sydney called Malabar. It's probably one of my favorite dive spots. And you can go there some days and it is almost like a desert with just like a few little littered fish around and yeah you don't don't see too much and then you can go there another day in pretty much the same conditions i'm not sure what's changed but something's changed and it's it's like something out of blue planet too there's just like really absolutely everything you'll be down on the bottom and you'll just observe like 10 15 different species of fish wow. in, in one in one like frame if you will it's, yeah yeah it's it's absolutely unreal i love how that it can just come on like that like it can be 
still as anything, not much happening. And then all of a sudden the next day you dive it, boom, it's just, yeah, teeming with life. It's yeah. Yeah, it is special, man. It's like waking up every day and it's Christmas morning. You're not sure what you're going to get. You know, <laughs> some days you get nothing, you get coal in your stocking, but other days you get something killer, you know, and you just don't know. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I'd say from that spot alone, I've probably taken more than 20 different types of fish. Yeah. It is wow, just insane. That is so cool. That's so cool. So, you know, as we were mentioning, you have a ton of different gear, man. You got gear for the water, you have gear for your pack, for land, living and everything. And like all of us, you know, you start to develop uh, like a real relationship with your gear, you know, and it sounds weird, but there's like, I think everybody listening, whether you surf or dive or fish or you name it, uh, we have a piece of gear that we just kind of love or we like more than others for whatever reason. So what's your favorite piece of gear that you have the most emotional attachment to <laughs> oh that's a good question um so I, I would like to say that it would it would be my gun but i think i think it would be i think it would be my mask and mm. i'm just about to retire my mask and it it's pretty sad that i'm doing so but that that mask <laughs> has been with me for years and just like yeah all the stuff that like kind of we've been through together <laughs> is, yeah. is just like yeah it's amazing i took it off the other day after a dive and i'd, I'd snap the the headband on it and i just looked at it and i was like holy shit this this mask has been everywhere this wow. mask has seen everything that i've seen it's a, allowed me it's been like a, my noble steed it's yeah, it's kind of assisted me and it it's just allowed me to view this underwater world. I forgot my mask on a dive trip before and it's like the most vital bit of kit, right? So like oh, even man. if you forget your spear gun, you can still at least go snorkeling. Yep. Get your fins, you can still at least swim. Like if you haven't got your mask, you're you're in for sore eyes. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, like <laughs> it, it was pretty crazy when I took it off. I was looking at it and I was like, actually I am really attached to this. So yeah, it's gonna go up on the wall for sure. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love retiring gear. You know, it's funny, like you could buy a piece of gear and it's like, it might just, it might not make it over the years. It could be that mask. It could be your bands, your fins or whatever, you know, and sometimes you get that piece of gear and it sounds like your guns, one of those things where you're like, God damn, this thing just keeps going. You know, it's always there. It never fails me. And it's just, sometimes you get that magic piece of gear and other times you could get a same, the same type of gear. And it just has issues like it doesn't shoot straight or just it's always a little leaky or for some reason that mask kind of just fogs and it just pisses you off. It's just enough to be annoying. You know, it's weird that it's cool that every now and then you get that magic piece that just works. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent. I've had I've had loads of difficulties with guns um, where I've, I've bought a brand new gun and, and geared it up or like tested it for a few weeks before a big trip. And yeah, I went out to Tonga and this was with um, an Oma roller, Oma carbon roller, I think it was. And um, I, I was shooting it and the bands just came straight off and I lost the bands oh. in surge. And it was my first first fish, <laughs> first dive and yeah, lost it. So then, yeah, I had to replace with local rubber, which wasn't ideal. So yeah. Yeah, the importance of having good gear is, is yeah, it's the most important thing, I think. It's Yeah, it's key. And I also think like... Uh, realizing and being at peace with the fact that you will lose stuff. Like, you know, I'll, I'll lose a piece of something and people in a, a really nice fishing lure, a something off the boat falls off. And it's just like, look, anything that goes in or near the water sooner or later, isn't going to come back. And that might be me too. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm at peace with that, but I don't care what it is, man. It might be your boat, might be your gun, your mask. If it goes in the water, there's a chance every time it ain't coming back out. <laughs> 
So Sam, you're talking about you got another trip coming up here soon, uh, another multi-day uh, hike and spear, and then you know with you know knock on wood, COVID starting to you know pass. Let's hope we're able to start traveling a little bit more reliably. Do you have anything on the books for like bigger, farther trips coming up? Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, at the start of this year, I started planning huge trips um, around the world. So I kind of wanted to take hike and spear around the world. And for the past six years, I've kind of developed or built up a massive point space with Virgin Australia in oh, like nice. anticipation to go out and do something huge. And then um, the airline almost went bust and luckily it's been saved. <laughs> oh, you're but, watching your miles about to disappear. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but luckily that's been saved. So I go back to Australia on the 15th of September um, where I'll basically just jump straight back into a bit of work and get stuck into what I do for my day to day for a few months. And then after after that, I'm going to take some time off and then get stuck into some more hiking spears around Australia. I'd love to go out to the South Pacific and New Zealand and yeah, hit up places like that. But then Every, every time I get stuck at an airport or delayed or something like that, I'll quickly just go on my phone, go on Google Maps and have a look at the, the map of the world and, and see where it looks good for diving. So I've eyed up um, is it Badger, California or Badger, California. Badger? Yeah, it's in, it's in the south. It's in Mexico. But I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correct. Huh. Uh, Los Bariles? There's, uh, I'm not Badger, sure. California, sir. Oh, Baja. Yeah. Baja. Yeah, yeah, the J is silent. There you go. Baja. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah so I've eyed up um, Baja, California. That looks, that looks absolutely sick. So Yeah. Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah, definitely. If you end up going down there, let me know because I got some friends who have that, who do a lot of stuff down there. And so I'm happy to give you some information of like what to do, maybe what not to do, you know, but uh, if that's helpful. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that, definitely. I'd, I'd tee something up. That would be that would be sick. Even if I hit up your side of the coast, though, that would be sick. Bring on a hike and spear. Oh, man. Yeah, if you're out this way, I mean, uh, Santa Cruz is just, you know, probably five, six hours from, you know, Los Angeles where you'd probably fly in. Um, so, yeah, man, it's always got a, a place to stay and a bunch of diving to do here. Man, I'd be happy to take you around. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Yeah, I'd lo love to hit a, uh, a sheep's head. Yeah. Yeah. Killer, man. Cool. Well, Sam, man, it's been a lot of fun and I appreciate you sharing with us. Uh, so for folks listening who want to find more out about you, man, give us, give us some web, some websites, Instagram spot handles, et cetera, where they can find you. Yeah, sure. So, um, you can just YouTube wet mammal, which is my wet mammal channel for YouTube. I'm on Facebook, which is wet mammal productions. And then on Instagram, just simply wet mammal. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, Good luck with everything, and uh, I'll put links to all those different uh, sites in the show notes so folks can just click and go, and then uh, when we get your web, web page up on my site, we'll definitely link to it as well. But uh, yeah, man, keep doing it, and uh, love what you're doing, and thanks again for sharing with us today. Awesome. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Josh. Cheers. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you like what you heard would really appreciate you sharing the podcast with people you know who might enjoy the stories that we hear and the guests we have on and of course even better reduce plastic do something good for the ocean and for each other thanks again we'll catch you on the next episode